everybody. Hope you're doing well. I am your host, Josh Peck. We have a very special episode today, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing uh, a, a, an entire series on the Essenes in prophecy. Uh, the Essenes, Dead Sea Scrolls, their calendar, what it tells us uh, prophetically, even how um, the, the Qumran community came to be, how the Pharisees and Sadducees came to be, how Rome came to uh, uh, be in charge over Israel during the times of uh, Christ and and the apostles. We got so much to talk about and we couldn't do it in just one episode. So for the next five episodes, we're going to be talking about all this. Now, typically I don't like series. Typically I don't like doing part one, part two, part three, uh, because I know if you're like me, every time uh, I look on YouTube and see like part three or something, I'm probably not going to watch it because I feel like I have to watch the other parts. So this is going to be a very loose series. You're going to be able to understand every part in this series, even if you haven't uh, seen the, the other episodes. Now, I, I highly encourage you to see the other episodes, and we're going to make all of that available to you at dailyrenegade.com. So go to dailyrenegade.com. We're actually offering a free seven-day trial right now. Uh, and what is Daily Renegade? Daily Renegade is um, uh, full episodes of everything that we provide. So we actually have five different shows right now. We have JPD Weekly, which is what you're watching right now. We have The Sharpening Report, which is a show that I host and I interview uh, interesting guests uh, on most topics of uh, Christianity and things like that. But we also have The Christian Contrarian with Gary Wayne. He is the author of the uh, phenomenal book, Genesis 6 Conspiracy, if you're familiar with that. We also have The Christian Marauder with Brian Melvin, uh, who is uh, absolutely fantastic. He does a lot of Bible study stuff as well. And then we have Detox Babylon with Michael Stibbs. So we have five different shows, uh, and we're probably going to have more coming. So... Um, what we do on YouTube is we provide you with a free kind of preview. We usually give the first half of the episodes for free and then ask you guys to go to dailyrenegade.com to get the rest. And the reason that we do that is because YouTube has uh, consistently deleted our content. We used to be able to just offer all of this for free, uh, but, you know, and, and just host everything on YouTube, but we can no longer do that because YouTube has deleted a bunch of our content. Actually, an entire channel, eight years worth of work that is uh, that is gone because it wasn't backed up. So we have learned our lesson lesson and we created Daily Renegade. So um, we're doing a free seven-day trial right now. You can head on over there. You can sign up. You can try it for a week, see if you like it. And I have no doubt that you will like it. And after your trial is up, you can make the decision if you want to uh, continue on. It's $10 a month or $100 a year. If you can do it, I suggest $100 a year because it's actually cheaper. You get two months for free that way. Uh, and and then you don't have to think about it for a whole other year. So it's a good deal. So all, all that to say, and we also have a ton of other stuff at Daily Renegade 2. We have some articles. We have a, a, a podcast version of all of our episodes. If you're an audio-only kind of person, uh, you can get uh, full access to all of that. Um, we have a, a ton of other things. You can even follow other members uh, on, online if you create a, an account with us. So we're trying to kind of build like a little mini social media site right in there. We want Daily Renegade to be your one-stop shop for everything that uh, church won't talk about. So most of the things we talk about uh, at Daily Renegade, you're not going to hear on church. Uh, also, uh, just real quick before we get into our study, we uh, also have available right when you go to dailyrenegade.com, there is a free episode of the Sharpening Report that talks about the coming prophetic financial collapse and how we as Christians can protect ourselves against it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ministries that are involved in like gold and silver 
silver companies. And for for years and years and years, I have stayed out of that because, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, um, a lot of those companies, I think that they're just out there to make money. You know, and, and I, I'm sure a lot of you have gotten the same uh, same feeling as me. So for the longest time, I stayed out of that kind of stuff. However. Uh, I have actually found a company that uh, isn't just about making money. They actually want to provide a ministry service to Christians. Uh, Michael Stibbs, the host of uh, Detox Babylon, is involved in this. Uh, he he works for this company. It's called Cornerstone. And you can uh, roll over some of your investments in silver. And it really does help because it's uh, it stays protected. And as our financial system keeps collapsing, uh, silver will remain the same. So... You know, technically it remains the same. It'll be like in, in five years, you, 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 you technically have like more money, but not, not exactly. It, it, it's, it's that our financial system, uh, uh, keeps going down. So the, but the silver stays the same. So it appears as if it's more, it'll be worth more in the economy, uh, of five to 10 years from now. Um, now, this isn't a get-rich-quick kind of thing. You're not going to make like a ton of money off of this. But what, what it is is your investments will be protected. Uh, you're not going to lose money. So that's the whole idea. It, it's something that we as Christians can have access to. This is this is first and foremost a Christian company. Uh, and it's something that we as Christians can have access to that we don't have to participate in this beast system with uh, you know global banking and all that stuff. We, 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 can, we can say goodbye to the current financial system that really all of us hate. We all have issues with it. And we can do our own thing as Christians. So we have that available to you. You don't have to be a member to take part in that. Uh, you can just go to dailyrenegade.com and re- immediately right on that first screen, on the login screen, you'll see the free episode. So you can get all the information there uh, totally for free. And then you get all the information on how to um, how to sign up or, or if you want to ask Cornerstone for more information, they can walk you through the process. It's a great company. I really believe in them. And after you watch the episode, I believe that you will too. Okay. So all that being said, those are the announcements for what's going on at Daily Renegade and what to expect in the future. Let's jump right into the study. I am so excited about this. I, I have been um, almost almost borderline obsessed with uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, with the scenes, with uh, the, the Zadokites or Sons of Zadok or the Qumran community, whatever we want to call them. I've been so fascinated with this topic because it really helps fill in a lot of the blanks that we have uh, in Christianity. You know, this all has to do with our roots as Christians, like where we came from. And, you know, kind of just generally speaking, we know, well, we come from, uh, we come from the Jews. We come from a Jewish, uh, the Jewish religion and their Messiah came and those who accepted it became Christians. And thus we, we have Christianity today. And that is a, that, that is true, but that is a very watered down version. Uh, what actually happened, um, there, there's some things that aren't known and, uh, there's some things that, are known within academia and, and, and modern scholarship, but it doesn't typically trickle down to the church. So that's what I'm trying to do. I want to bring this stuff to the church because it, it is so exciting, and I really think it'll help enrich uh, your your. I don't want to say your faith because your your relationship with Jesus is is the thing that should enrich that. But but you do get to learn some more about God. You do get to learn some more about uh, the the uh, our descendants, our spiritual descendants how Christianity first started. And amazingly, the, um, the, the Qumran community, the writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were actually known to have extremely 
uh, accurate prophecy, and those prophecies were recorded. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we've never heard of before. So we're going to get into all that in this series. Now, before we can really appreciate the content and history of the scrolls, we have to know at least the basics of how they came to be discovered in our modern day, and what their role was in ancient history. Um, there are already entire books and, and videos in existence about the discovery of the scrolls themselves. So I'm only going to provide like a brief review here because I don't want to rehash things that have already been talked about a million times, you know, and I'm sure you guys don't want that either. Uh, so we're going to go through a brief uh, like review of just how this, how this discovery happened. And then after that, we'll look at the world in which the scrolls were created and that, that missing 400 years between the Old and New Testament. What, what really happened there? Because you look at the Old Testament and we understand that pretty well, but then when you get to the New Testament, everything's different. You know, Israel uh, is being ruled by Rome and there's Pharisees, there's Sadducees, and, and how, how did all of this happen? Well, we're, we're going to talk about all that. So let's start with the discovery of the scrolls themselves. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Qumran, uh, which is an area in Israel. It's located on the northwest corner of the Dead Sea, hence the name the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and it was uh, they, these things were discovered between 1947 and 1956. They were originally discovered by a Bedouin shepherd who was throwing rocks into caves. Some say that he was uh, searching for treasure with his friends. Uh, some say he was just doing it you know, out of boredom, but whatever the case was, he was throwing rocks into caves and heard some uh, pottery break. So upon investigation, uh, clay vessels filled with ancient scrolls were discovered in the caves. There were between 900 and 1,000 parchments that were discovered, and they all contained sacred writings in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Uh, now, generally speaking, with very few exceptions, these scrolls were discovered to have been written about one or 200 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, there, there's, I think there was only one or two that were written um, in, in the, in the, in the AD years, you know, and and we're pro we're not going to really get into those. So all the scrolls that we're going to be talking about throughout this series, any that we that we mention, um, these were all written one or two hundred years before Christ, and that's incredibly important to keep in mind uh, and to remember that because there's going to be some uh, things when you read through the scrolls. Um, especially when we get into like uh, a, a scroll that's called Eleven Q Melchizedek. I mean, it describes perfectly what who the Messiah is who, who, what, what he's coming to do. And this was written like 100 years before Christ. So we have to remember that. Um, this verified dating of the origin of the scrolls uh, is incredibly important because of the detailed prophecy having to do with the first and the second coming of Messiah. That's right. They actually have prophecy relating to our day, relating, relating to our future. Which is, which is just phenomenal, and I can't wait to get into that stuff. Now, Dr. Uh, Rachel Elior, she's a professor of Jewish philosophy at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Uh, she's done extensive modern-day work on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and according to her, uh, Dr. Elior, these scrolls should be divided into the following categories. So five different categories here. You have the biblical library, which is uh, the books of the Old Testament. So they, ha they had, they had uh, all the books of the Old Testament except Esther. Um, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But there's, uh, there's that category. There's parabiblical writings. So these would have been apocryphal texts such as Enoch and Jubilees. Uh, there's the mystical library, which is uh, like the sabbatical Psalms uh, would be an example of that. Uh, a polemic library 
which would be like the War Scroll. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, you've probably heard of the War Scroll. It's one of the most famous uh, scrolls that they have, that and the Copper Scroll. Um, but uh, now the Copper Scroll wouldn't be part of the polemic library. That, that would be like the War Scroll would be a good example of that. And then there's the sectarian literature that talks about their group, their sect. Uh, so an example of that would be the Damascus document. Now, um, in her lecture, she has a lecture online that's really informative. It's called Who Wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and Why They Were Forgotten. Uh, Dr. Eliura explains how all of the books of the Old Testament, except the book of Esther, were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. So uh, this exclusion of the book of Esther might provide a clue as to the original purpose of the Qumran scroll collection. So uh, Dr. Elliver suggests that the reason that the book of Esther was not included in the Qumran library might have been, might have been, because nobody really knows. It, it actually could have even been an accident. They might have had Esther and we just didn't find any uh, copies of it because they either were taken uh, when they, they were taken with them when they left or they were deteriorated and we just haven't found them. Uh, so there's, there's several things that could explain that. Uh, but Dr. Elliver suggests that um, Esther was, was not included, po possibly because uh, it doesn't contain the name of God in it. So all other biblical books have at least some reference to the divine authority of God, but the book of Esther does not. So if the Dead Sea Scrolls were intended to be a library of sacred writings, then a book that does not reference God would not be considered uh, sacred by the parameters of that library. Now, that does not mean that does not necessarily mean that the Qumran community thought less of the book of Esther uh, or, or thought that it wasn't inspired text or anything like that. It, only that they may not have believed it to belong uh, alongside uh, other scrolls in that particular Qumran library if the purpose of that library was to hold sacred texts. So if that's true, and we don't know if it is, but if that's true, that would mean that the Qumran community who kept this library thought of each scroll as containing sacred texts. And there's a lot of texts in there that aren't included uh, in our Bible, like Enoch, Jubilees, you know, 11Q Melchizedek, uh, uh, Messianic Apocalypse. There's, there's a lot of scrolls like that um, that aren't included in our Bible, nor should they be. And that's something that we got to keep in mind uh, too. Nobody is saying that these books should have been, well, there are people that say that, but they're wrong. These books should not have been included in our text. What we have in our, what we have our Bible uh, is what's supposed to be in the Bible. There wasn't some nefarious uh, conspiracy where books were removed maliciously or anything like that. Uh, if you actually look into the history of how we got our Bible, um, maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point uh, on, on uh, here on JPD Weekly. But if um, if you actually look into the history of that, it, it, there there wasn't any weird conspiracy thing. It was all. Uh, appropriately done, and it was all understood. So e even the even ancient Jews, they understood that the books of the Old Testament that we have, that was canon. Now they had a lot of other texts, but there's reasons that they that that those other texts weren't included in the canon. Uh, and even later on with the New Testament writings, there's there's a lot of reason. There's good reason why other books weren't included in the canon. Um, not all of them were preserved. For for example, there's even uh, like what what we find in Qumran are fragments of Jubilees and Enoch. Uh, but the the current version that we have of like the the full text of Jubilees, the dates are are all screwed up. The dates are all messed up. They give that the, the, our current translation, which was translated from other languages into the Ethiopic Gias and then into English, 
Well, that, that translation somehow messed up a lot of the dates. So when it says, you know, so-and-so happened on this date or in this Jubilee, in the book of Jubilees, those, those texts are messed up. Now, we know that the original was not like that. We know the original was different because of the fragments of, of text that we have from Jubilees. We can compare it, and we can actually see that there's a difference in those dates. But we don't have enough of the original Jubilees to actually piece together a full manuscript. So it wasn't preserved. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't read Jubilees. We can read, we can read Jubilees, and we can get a lot out of it, but we we should never uh, elevate that to the same level of, of scripture, if that makes sense. Um, same with Enoch. Uh, the, the Enoch that we have today, things could have been added or removed, and we only have fragments of Enoch uh, from the Qumran community, um, Dead Sea Scrolls. So, so it, it, things like that, there's good reason why. For some reason, God chose not to preserve these texts and to have them included uh, in the canon. Now, there are sections that are very helpful, uh, like the Book of Enoch. I do believe that there are things in there that are meant for our generation, but not to be included in the canon. Because again, if, if you were to include everything in the canon, I mean, you'd have a book that's like way too thick to, no, no one would read it. You know, the, the Bible's already pretty thick, uh, and it's already hard enough to get people to read it. If, if the Bible was two, three, four, five times the size of what it is now, and that was the canon, um, who, who would read it? It would be even harder to get, get anybody to take the time to do it. So there, there are good reasons why these things weren't included in the canon, and we should not uh, expect them to be. We should, we should, in my opinion, we should not want them to be included in the canon, but we can read them uh, for uh, some historical context. Uh, and, and the cool thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls is they don't contradict uh, anything in, in the Bible. Um, they fill in some blanks, but they don't actually change anything. Now, all that being said, from our perspective today, uh, like I said a moment ago, we understand the Old Testament pretty well. You know, it begins with the writings of Moses and it continues on until the book of Malachi. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah to come, uh, a promised individual who would be anointed by God. Uh, after Malachi, there is a 400-year gap until the beginning of the New Testament. Now, when we read the book of Matthew... The first book in the New Testament, we discover the conditions in Israel are extremely different than they were when we left off uh, from the book of Malachi. So Israel is being ruled by Rome. There are religious leaders called Pharisees and Sadducees. There, there isn't much explanation in the Gospels themselves on how everything in Israel changed. So this is where we can look to some other texts written within that 400-year gap including some of the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves, um, to help explain the transition between Malachi and Matthew. Uh, so this leads us to the silent 400 years and the sons of Zadok. Now, while this 400-year gap between the Testaments is typically called the silent years, it turns out that there's actually a really rich history available to us of this time period if we know where to look. So until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, the best things that we had available to explain this time period uh, was Jewish history contained in the Talmud. And, and just to make a quick brief note on the Talmud, because there, there's a lot of hatred of this book, uh, like a, a lot of, um, more than any other book, look, it, it is, it is a, it's a religious and a historical text. All right. So just like you could look at like the, I don't know, the, the Indian Vedas are, are kind of like that. And 
are are the are the Indian Vedas are are they anti-Christian? You know, of of course, because they teach a different gospel. They teach a different thing. Is the Talmud anti-Christian? Of course, because of the same reason. It teaches uh, a different gospel. It, it doesn't teach. Uh, or preach Jesus Christ. So, of course, there's there's problems getting any kind of spiritual enlightenment uh, from the Talmud or from the Vedas or from anything like that. But there is history contained in the Talmud that uh, can be very beneficial. Now, of course, it, it always helps when you, if you're going to take history um, and, and and separate that from the spiritual teachings, if you're just going to take the history, it, it always helps to have uh, other sources to help um to help confirm uh, what what the Talmud is is telling about Jewish history, and just like any other text, you know, it, it can't just be trusted blindly. I mean, you can do that with the Bible, but but even that, you have to be careful. Are you trusting the Bible? Or are you trusting your own interpretations? And you can't you you can't just trust your own human interpretations blindly. Uh, so there there is kind of this irrational fear and hatred of the Talmud. There's a lot of and we'll do we will do a whole episode on this. There's a lot of claims going around online about the Talmud that it says certain things about Jesus, and there it's just long story short. There's no reason to believe that those are true. You know, you could interpret things in a certain way, you know, just like you can do with any text. But there, there, there's, there's no real reason to to fully believe that that was the intended interpretation of those scripts when they were first written. Now, again, there's a whole whole thing on that that we will have to get into in a different episode. I don't want to go on too much of a rabbit trail here, but I just wanted to address that, you know, yes, there there is an irrational, uh, uh, j- just vitriolic hatred and, and even fear of the Talmud itself, but it's, it's really just like any other, you know, pseudo-spiritual historical text out there, you know. Um, it, 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 no, it does not teach anything good about Jesus, of course, so we don't use it for spiritual enlightenment. And again, a lot of the the blasphemous stuff that people claim is in the Talmud, they they don't have a real reason to interpret it that way. Um, but again, we'll we'll have to get into that in a different episode. But just suffice to say, uh, we can we can look uh, for some history in there, but it always helps, and we should do this with any historical text, even Josephus. Uh, you know, we should do this with any historical text. It always helps to have confirmation from other sources. So if we can do that, that helps. Like, for example, uh, Josephus, he's amazing historian. Uh, uh, he's amazing at history. <laughs> um, but historian, that's what I was looking for. Um, but the problem is, I I believe he was going by some Greek translations that had the dates messed up. So even in the works of Josephus, uh, when he gives, like, ages or dates or you know they're they're not they're not correct you know some some of them are kind of uh messed up so you know we always have to look at that stuff but we don't have to just say that under no circumstances at all no matter what should you ever look at the talmud no matter what i i think that is is going a little far and it's it's kind of ridiculous you know you, you can look at it it is a historical text it is a text that was written historically uh and you have to take it in the context that it was meant to be understood. And, you know, of course it is not a Christian text. What, not whatsoever. There's nothing Christian in it, but it does contain some Jewish history. So, um, 
So up until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the best things that we had available to explain this time period, this this silent 400 years, was Jewish history contained in the Talmud, uh, the four books of the Maccabees, um, and works of ancient historians such as uh, Flavius Josephus. Now, all of these sources leave some things out, and it can be difficult to piece together every point of history within these 400 years. And even all of these sources kind of have their own slant because that's just human nature. Uh, you know, so for example, some have said that because Josephus was a Pharisee, that he's he's a little kinder to the Pharisees than he should have been in some areas. Uh, so he may have had a slant, maybe not. Uh, you know, maybe those claims are completely unfounded. Uh, but and of course, you know, the Talmud's going to have a slant. These all all of these um, historical documents are going to have some kind of slant. You know, Christian historians have that as well. Uh, there are ancient uh, church father texts that might have a slant. So you just, you got to take each piece on its own and look at it for what it is and make your own determination. Um, but we just have to realize that is human nature. Uh, it's always been like that. It always will be like that until Christ returns, until uh, th this world is set straight. But I mean, we even have that in the mainstream media today. So we should expect that we're going to find that in historical texts as well. So uh, th this is all that we've had to really piece together those 400 years until the Dead Sea Scrolls, because they have helped quite a bit since their discovery and publication. Um, so it all begins with the command of God to Aaron, recorded in the Torah, that priests of Israel were only to come through Aaron's family from the tribe of Levi. So we get this from Exodus 28.43 through 29.1a from the New King James Version. It says, uh, they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. And this is what you shall do to them to, ha to, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. And we have another one. Uh, we have another reference to this too. That says, uh, quote, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they uh, shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar lest they die, they and you also. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you, and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I make my behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And that is from Numbers 18, 1 through 7. And again, we were reading from the New King James Version. All right, so Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, 
Levi was the father of Kohath, who was the father of Amram, who was the father of Aaron and Moses. So this is how the line of Levi connects down to Aaron and Moses uh, throughout time. Now, instead of just any Levite being a priest, God narrowed it down to Aaron's descendants. And that can be a bit confusing as we actually have two individuals named Zadok in the priestly line. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this priestly line narrow down to the first Zadok, who is the 12th from Aaron. And then to a second Zadok, who was high priest uh, during the construction of the first temple during the days of David and Solomon. Uh, now, according to the uh, according to the book of Ezra, the first Zadok mentioned was the twelfth from Aaron, and the family line from Aaron to the first Zadok uh, is as follows. So we have Aaron, Eleazar, Phineas. Abishua, Buki, Uzi, Zerahiah, uh, Merioth, Ezariah, Amariah, Ahitub, and Zadok. In the book of 1 Chronicles, we see the family line from ah uh, Ahimaz, son of the first Zadok, to the second Zadok, and we see that that is as follows. So we already looked at the first 12. Uh, so now after that first Zadok, we have Ahimaz, uh, Azariah, Yohanan, Azariah, Amariah, Ahitub, and Zadok. So, you know, that can get kind of confusing because there a lot of those names are repeated. You know, a lot of the names are the same, but these are different individuals. So that second Zadok is the individual referred to when the term uh, sons of Zadok comes up throughout the rest of this book. Now, King David set up Zadok and uh, uh, um, uh, Amalek. Ahimelech, I don't know exactly how to say that, Ahimelech, uh, son of Abiathar as priest. So King David set up uh, Zadok uh, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar as priests. Now later in the days of Solomon, we learn in the Bible that there was some uh, rebellion. So Adoniah was attempting to secure the throne and Abiathar sided with him. Now, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon expelled Abiathar from Jerusalem and gave the priesthood over to Zadok. And then after that, and from that time forward, uh, high priests were to come through the line of Zadok. So after the second Zadok, his family line, which is sometimes called the Zadokite dynasty or sons of Zadok, Zadokites, uh, that family line is uh, as follows. It continues on. Uh, Shalom, uh, then uh, uh, Hilkiah, Azariah, Sariah, and uh, Yehoshadak. So that gives us 24. It gives us a line of 24 there. So we learn that um, uh, Yehoshadak or Yehoshadak went into captivity with Jerusalem and Judah by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So this provides us with the 24 descendants from Aaron to the time of the Babylonian captivity. Now, after the Babylonian exile, Zadok's family line of high priests uh, continued until Jason, son of Simon II, and that was around 175 to 172 BC. Uh, and he, he was the last of the Zadokite dynasty. 
last of the Zadokites that, that were that were priests. So in 175 BC, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, or Antiochus Epiphanes IV, or just Antiochus Epiphanes, which many of you have probably heard of. Uh, he was a Hellenistic king, extremely evil. Uh, he, he was from the uh, Seleucid Empire. He conquered Israel, and he deposed the rightful high priest Jason and appointed uh, Menelaus as the new high priest. Antiochus uh, outlawed Jewish religious rituals. He slaughtered a pig in order to desecrate the Jewish temple, and he ordered the Jews to worship Zeus as the supreme god instead of Yahweh. Uh, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus writes, quote, Now Antiochus was not satisfied either with his unexpected taking of the city, Jerusalem, or with its pillage, or with the great slaughter he had made there. But being overcome with his violent passions and remembering what he had suffered during the siege, he compelled the Jews to dissolve the laws of their country and to keep their infants uncircumcised and to sacrifice swine's flesh upon the altar, against which they all opposed themselves, and the most approved among them were put to death. Uh, now, according to the book of First Maccabees, uh, Mattathias, the... Hasmonean began the revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes and the Seleucid Empire in 167 uh, BC. He did this by refusing to worship the Greek gods, and he, he killed a Greek officer who was attempting to enforce a sacrifice to an idol, and he also killed a, a, a Jew who had stepped forward to do the sacrifice. So after this initial revolt, uh, Mattathias and his fi five sons fled into the Judean wilderness. Now, um, uh, after Mattathias died about a year later in 166 BC, one of his sons named Judas Maccabee uh, led, it, sometimes it's it, it, sometimes he's referred to as Judah Maccabee, but Judah, Judas, it's the same person we're talking about. Uh, Judas Maccabee led an army of Jews into uh, many battles against the Seleucid rulers and any who sided with them in Israel. Uh, the Maccabees were victorious against the Seleucid Empire and were able to cleanse the temple, and that actually resulted in the creation of a new holiday in Israel, uh, Hanukkah. Uh, and they were able to reestablish worship of Yahweh and Jewish rituals and installed Judas's uh, younger brother, Jonathan Aphus, uh, also called Jonathan the Hasmonean, as high priest. Uh, so he wore the garments of the high priest and officiated for the first time on the Feast of Tabernacles in 153 B.C., Jonathan was the first priest in the Hasmonean dynasty. That's what it's that's what they call it. Now, of course, it's generally understood as a good thing that the Jewish people were able to escape their persecution of their oppressors. However, it's not it wasn't a perfect restoration because for those who followed the books of the Old Testament, Jonathan Aphus uh, should have never been made high priest because he was not a Zadokite. He was not one of the sons of Zadok. He didn't come from that line, so he, sh he never should have been made high priest. Now, history itself even seems to show that the Hasmonean dynasty was not blessed by God to take over the priesthood, as this was just the beginning of the increasing corruption in Israel's leadership until the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Now, that's not to say that God didn't bless uh, the, 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 the Jewish people being released from their captors, because clearly we have Hanukkah. We have, we have a miracle that was done that, that God did um, and so they could cleanse the temple. So clearly God blessed at least that, but the priesthood itself 
this was just the beginning of of corruption that that overtook uh, Israel and led to what what we see in the New Testament. So um, so it seems that God did not bless the the priesthood itself. So there's a there's a clear distinction between those two things. Now even more, the Hasmoneans had no ties to the Davidic line from which legitimate kings of Israel were supposed to descend, uh, but they still took up kingship. So even in that regard, they never should have been priests or kings. Now, this actually leads to the origin of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and this leads further into our study of how we got to the times of the New Testament. We are going to have to do that in the members-only section. So again, you have no excuse. We are giving away a free trial, free seven-day trial. You can go to dailyrenegade.com. You can get this entire series uh, when it becomes available. You always get early access to videos. Uh, so whenever you see things on YouTube by Daily Renegade, that video, that full video has already been available on the website for, for, at least for a few days probably, sometimes as many as a few weeks. So we always give uh, our members early access and you get the full episodes. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com. Get a membership today. You can get a free trial. Once your trial is up, you can get, uh, you, you, it's $10 a month or $100 a year. Again, if you can do the $100 a year, do that. It's actually cheaper in the long run because you get two months for free. Just pay for it once. Don't think about it for a whole other year. It's a really good deal. And we would love to have your support. If you have been blessed by this ministry and what we do, please help support us and help us grow so we can reach even more people uh, with all of this information, with the gospel, with the 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 the, the roots of our faith, uh, with, with all of these things that can really help enrich uh, the Christian life. Uh, so please help us do that. And we, we also want to reach the lost. We want to do lots of things through this ministry. And we sure could use your help, but in return for your help, we also like to provide you with, uh, with, with services and products and things. So, I mean, there's even a free documentary up on Daily Renegade that's not available uh, for free to everybody else that you can get. We're going to have a lot more stuff like that coming up. So uh, go and be a member today, dailyrenegade.com, and we will see you over there. Members, hang on the line. we got a lot more to talk about, lots uh, more interesting stuff having to do with the Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, and the Qumran community, how they came to be. Uh, uh, we have a lot more to get into. So members, hang on the line. Everybody else, thank you so much for watching, and until next time, love you all. Take care, and God bless.